Welcome to The Power of Data, the podcast by Dun & Bradstreet. Data is everywhere, and there is more created every second of every day. Join us to hear from leaders unlocking the value of data. Welcome to The Power of Data podcast. I'm Sam, and I'm joined today by David Gonzalez. Welcome, David. Thank you, Sam. David is the CDO and Group Head of Big Data and AI for Vodafone Business. It's a mouthful, but I'm sure it's long because it's important and I'm looking forward to finding out more. David, you had the strategy and implementation to drive big data analytics value for Vodafone's largest and most important clients around the world. Every company I've ever worked for has used Vodafone business, which I think is a good sign. And as well as transforming data management within Vodafone, you're doing a whole host of other things. You and I went and got a coffee earlier and you said you had the best job here because you got to touch every part of the business and externally. Can you tell us a little bit about your role here? I'll make a little joke that is that I think all our clients are important. Maybe multinationals are because we have to deliver them across many different countries. But at the end, obviously, absolutely every single customer we've got is is a treasure and, and we look after them. So, yeah, I think that I have one of the best jobs, if not the best of the entire Vodafone community, because it's fantastic. At the end, data supports everything we do. Every decision we make, every new service that we can build uses data in one way or another. And that gives us the opportunity to learn about the work that all our teams do across the different countries at group level. You have to learn about finance or marketing or legal or commercial operations in order to deliver the most out of data. So it's fantastic. It's a combination of data, technology, mathematics, business outcomes that is honestly uh, making our teams be very happy and, and do a great job. Awesome. And I'm sure a lot of this grounding you got in previous roles, you were at Accenture, right? Am I yeah, yeah. <laughs> How has the other stuff you've done in your career led to this moment? Data is complex, changes every day, and it's volume, it's velocity, and it's value. The three Vs, I had to learn that when I joined DMV. Yeah, how has it held you in good stead for the role that you have today? Well, I think that I always wanted to work in something related to technology, data, mathematics. My parents are both mathematicians, so I think I inherited that passion for for numbers and and mathematics. And um, when I finished university, I started telco engineering in Spain. I joined one of the first startups, in, at least in Europe, working on data mining. It was those days where obviously digital companies, the big names you, you can think of, were not around. Only data mining was applied at university and perhaps some kind of research. But within this company, we found an opportunity to use data in the real business and start applying uh, mathematics and machine learning in order to help organizations be more effective and, and more intelligent. This company was quite successful, and a few years later, we were acquired by Accenture. So obviously, uh, that transition from a small startup with all that agility into joining one of the largest consulting firms in the world was a, a big move, I could say. I moved into the U.S. because they, they asked me to move with my team to the U.S., and I had the opportunity to work for some of the largest uh, companies in financial services, in retail, and, and other industries. So I think that that gave me good visibility about how organizations, big ones obviously, use or at least they want to use data. What are the main challenges that they face on on their daily operations? And how with the skills that we've got that join together technology, data, and business value, 
we were able to help organizations thrive and transform and become data-driven. So that experience working for very large companies like AT&T or Bank of America or Prudential or, or Best Buy, besides others in Spain, gave me that, that good knowledge. So basically what we do now in, in Vodafone is apply all that experience, all that knowledge, that combination of a startup, big consulting firm, multinational learnings, in basically helping our organization do things a bit better and help our teams have access to all, all this kind of information because information, you know, it is very powerful mm -hmm. if you use mm -hmm. it well and if information has good quality. So that's what we do and that's why we like it so much. It makes a lot of sense. A recent podcast we did with a chap called Paul Walker, who's the former head of tech at Goldman, said it's, it's not magic, it's math. And it makes a lot of sense. You've got a maths, maths degree in, in the background. I did sociology, which is probably why I'm in marketing. <laughs> Before we go into a little bit about Vodafone business, you talked about the startup culture, right? Super important to have that entrepreneurial <laughs> environment, fast-paced, hustling environment. You were a co-founder and a COO of a startup. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, it was those days when obviously our passion was to let's try to do something big, create something that helps our society in something that there was no answer, there was no technology, there was no, no solution in place. So we wanted to build something like Shazam, but for movies and TV series, not just telling you what movie you are watching, but tell you specifically everything that you are seeing on the screen while you're watching the movie. So imagine that you are watching Big Bang Theory or any other movie and you want to know who those actors are, what are they wearing, where you can buy those clothes, where is that scene being filmed, the music that is playing, curiosities about that scene. We build that technology and we I thought it was, it was going to be massive, big, something incredible. I think that all founders face the same reality when obviously you think you have the best idea in the world and then obviously the idea could be good, but then obviously rolling it out and, and having it at the hands of everyone is a bit more complicated. So I think that that experience from an idea into building a company, raising money, implementing and building the technology, I think that that experience is fantastic. It's like creating a baby or something similar. So that experience was really, really good. I moved also to the, back to the US, to New York, met a lot of investors, companies, partners, and obviously the big ones like, like could be Google or Netflix. And we realized that the idea was good, but then for different reasons, we decided to pivot and focus on the European market, which I think was a smart move. Then for different reasons, I decided to quit and I wanted to do something else. And based on my old days at Accenture, I met the CDO of Prudential, the financial services company that was working here at, at Vodafone. So she told me, we need to bring you to Vodafone business. And she was um, like a mother, like a second mother. And she convinced me to, to join. And, and that's the reason why I ended up here. And I think it was an, a, a fantastic move. And I, I love this company. I'm very happy here. I'd say the power of an entrepreneurial culture is in exactly what you've just described. That passion is exactly why it's essential, I think. And what was it called? It was it called Dive? Yeah, Dive.tv. Yeah, Dive.tv. I've got this vision of, do you remember the original Terminator movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger? And he's looking around and all the like text pops up and it says, <laughs> this guy smoked 37 cigarettes today. And that's kind of the vision I've got. You're watching TV and it tells you everything, everything. you need to know. Yeah, yeah I, wish, I, wish, I wish I had it. <laughs> there you go. Many people say that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back back to, to the business, to Vodafone business. Perfect. Tell me a little bit about the scale of Vodafone business. Who's it serving? How large is it? What are the aspirations of the business? Well, typically, something that we've seen is that when, when you ask people about Vodafone, everyone immediately tends to think about mobile phones. It's like the 
the normal response. But reality is that Vodafone businesses are, are B2B arm. So it's how we're helping organizations, both public and, and private, to survive in, in this really exciting digital world. It's how we help organizations have all the connectivity and all the services that they need on a daily basis. So within Vodafone Business, we are providing services across the entire world, entire, even though we have operations in 25 markets, we are providing B2B services in every country yeah. in the world uh, through our partner networks as well. And Vodafone Business is providing to every single company you can think of, from really, really small Soho organizations in, in any local country up to the largest companies we can all think of, our Vodafone clients. The typical question we get asked is that, do you sell something else besides mobile? And the reality is yes, we sell a lot more than, than just mobile phones. We sell all the fixed connectivity that our clients need, including how to connect securely offices around the entire world. We provide also uh, services around cloud which obviously we have partnerships with all the big cloud players, but we also have our own joint venture with IBM for private cloud. We provide services as well on obviously location intelligence and big data and advanced analytics, where we are helping lots of public administration and also private organizations to understand mobility patterns within cities so they can understand and plan accordingly, which is quite important these days that there is like a big movement into big cities. We provide services, which is really, really relevant around IoT. So now we are connecting 100 million devices to our networks. So really interesting from all kinds you can think of, cars, elevators, sensors, for all kinds of companies. So we have 100 million devices. We are the most global uh, IoT player in the world. So long story short, Vodafone as a company selling mobile devices, I think is part of the past. Now we are a tech communications organization. We are providing and helping organizations also in digital transformation. And obviously connectivity keeps playing a, a massive role because it's our main business at the end. But we're selling way more than just mobile, as you can see. That's awesome. I'm going to go into what you've just said a little bit. You talk about 100 million devices. When people talk to me about that kind of volume of devices, I get excited for you because the Internet of Things is just coming online, right? Mm -hmm. And soon it's going to be your phone talking to your fridge, talking to your car, talking to your bank. But what that requires from an infrastructure perspective is substantial. It's not just connectivity speed and 5G. It's volume transaction processing. And I know you'll probably correct me because I'll get it wrong, but I'll give it a go anyway. I know the telco industry has been performing at a much higher transaction per second level than the banking industry. It's been using the ACA, ACTA model and Scala and a whole load of other technologies. How well prepared is Vodafone to capitalize on the IoT? boom as it really hits the kind of right point in the hype cycle? Well, I, I think that we've been really successful and ready for this for quite some time. The, the launch of um, 5G, the launch of narrowband IoT is a way to ensure that at the end we are ready for any kind of uh, connectivity, any kind of landscape where devices need to be continuously connected to our networks. Obviously, 5G is, is a game changer. But even in the case of all the connectivities, when devices are connected to our networks, the amount of information that can be transferred, the velocity of, of that information flowing into different platforms to take and make smart decisions, that is happening already. And I could give you a bunch of different uh, examples. Uh, for instance, we're working with energy companies providing information real time about the sensoring of, for instance, electric pipes. And we are predicting if devices and sensors within these networks have a, a probability or a risk of catching fire 
if that happened, obviously, a big part of a city could, let's say, be kept without electricity. And obviously, that cost is massive, not only with our sensors, with the connectivity provided, also with the data and the intelligence on top of this connectivity plus hardware services. We are helping large organizations to better manage IoT sensors, IoT devices connected with our networks. So we can do things like real-time preventive maintenance, detect devices that may have a malfunction or a failure. We can predict the usage by the end of the month. We help our customers understand things like a billing forecast. So at the end, the combination of hardware connectivity and obviously managed services is the space where, where we are. And for instance, one example is that we, we acquired a company, Cobra, several years ago in Italy. It's a very large manufacturer for uh, mainly working for, for car manufacturers. So obviously with this organization, we are providing all the connectivity within vehicles. We're working with every single car manufacturer you can think of. And we're doing amazing things, understanding all the mobility about vehicles, also providing all these kind of sensors as a service. So they get to know all the information about the vehicle. So they can also provide services to prevent vehicles to having any kind of failure they're obviously affecting the customer experience so at the end to sum up is that i think it's fantastic the opportunity that the combination of hardware connectivity managed services data analytics is bringing today and how it's transforming the entire business around the world that is such a good analogy david the the mobility and connectivity comparison if you think about Henry Ford, one of the, the most pivotal individuals probably of, of the last 200 years, he created a car. And if you'd asked the people, they would have said, build me a faster horse. <laughs> that car was very noisy. Someone had to actually walk in front of it to prevent people from getting, you know, I mean, how counterintuitive is that? Today, we're at a point where my son, who's just been born, isn't going to learn to drive. He's not even going to believe me that there are cars parked outside people's houses, right? You're just going to call a car, it'll turn up, it'll be automated, it'll be electric. There'll be no congestion in the roads. And connectivity is exactly the same. We went from landlines to mobile phones the size of a PC to tiny mobile phones to mobile phones you're not even going to be able to see anymore. To And it's just constantly evolving. We're becoming more and more connected, more and more mobile. I get really excited about that. And I don't think any of our listeners would have known that Vodafone plays in so many of those spaces. True. In the same way, people don't know that DMB does a lot of stuff. People think DMB is a credit ratings agency or into trade credit, uh, and they're two slithers of what it does. One of the reasons I love my job is I get to tell people that that's not what we do. We do a whole lot of stuff. We help people understand who could be a customer of theirs, understand more about their customers, understand how to add more value to their customers to make better decisions. We have a whole suite of data and analytics propositions that can help businesses grow faster, grow margins, remain compliant. It's awesome. It's fascinating. There's no better person to talk to me about data. You can now educate me on it. From your perspective, what role does data play at Vodafone specifically? To be honest, I think data is in the core and in the essence of everything we do. By the way, we use the ambis data, so we are a client as well and a partner. So There we go. I, I, I promise I didn't ask for that. <laughs> well, I tell you. Thank you. It's on me. Um, I think data is, is the DNA of, of how we make decisions. So basically, I'll tell you a bunch of different examples. So our customers access to my Vodafone app and they have all the data they need to understand basically how much are they, are they spending, how much data they have consumed. They are able to have that transparency and that trust relationship with Vodafone because they can see everything that they're using. 
Uh, that's one example. But at the same time, uh, when we meet some of our clients to maybe renew a contract or explain why we think they should have this tariff instead of this other, we show them that with data. So we tell them, this is your consumption. This has been your consumption over the last few months. This is the forecast, the mathematical forecast we are doing about your consumption. And these are the potential tariffs we can assign you. We think that this is the best and this will imply as well this level of investment from our side. So I think data justifies as well a relationship of trust with our customers. These are two examples, but I'll, I'll tell you more at the end. The way we operate is that we have now a community of about 300 data scientists across group and the countries where, where we operate. Data scientists are responsible for doing all the analysis in order to understand what our customers need, all the opportunities and all the threats that we have with, with all our customers. And with this data, with this predictive intelligence, our marketing teams and our commercial operations teams can basically define different marketing activities, different communication actions to better reach out to our customers and always offer what they need, what they need best. So I think that data is on the DNA and is on the on the basis of everything we do because I'm, I think that this is something we all try to apply. But if it's about making decisions because you have more experience than someone else, then it's always going to be a battle. But if you have data backing up any, any decision you want to you wanna make, it is very complicated to justify another way around. I love that. And doing a little bit of research before coming in and catching up with you today, you mentioned in a recent blog that data is everyone's job. True. Couldn't agree with you more. The problem is data is very complicated. Yeah. One of the things since joining TMB I spent a bit of time on is trying to work out a way to help educate the C-suite in a way that allows them to have meaningful conversations about their data strategy at board level. We produce a complimentary, in fact, for anyone listening, newsletter every Saturday called Data Matters. It's just a roundup of the week. It's got a stat in there that you can wheel out at dinner parties and a whole load of news. How are you making it culturally a shift in your organization? And how are you making sure that everyone feels that data is their job? The good thing is that everyone in our organization knows data is very important. So obviously, if that wasn't the case, that would be a challenge. Because if you have to convince and educate people that data is important to do their job and to make decisions, then then that's a really big pitfall that is quite complicated to overcome. But in our case, the challenge was not that people, let's say, didn't understand the value of data. In our case, it was the other way around. It was that everyone wants data so much that they are keen to have access to really good quality data, really good insights in a way that everything is centralized, in a way that they can do really advanced applications that they can really transform the way the way we operate. So that has been fantastic because I think communication has been the most important focus that I've had since I joined. I think that coming up with a strategy that everyone supports and where everyone has contributed is fundamental because the moment that people look at the strategy, they all feel represented. They all feel that, okay, this is true. This is what, what we need. So I think communication and getting everyone involved since day one in that thinking, in that strategy definition was something very important that, that I did. Second now is about implementation and the execution. And I think that the fundamental thing is manage expectations. At the end, in a very large organization, everything we do takes time because obviously we are a bunch of different teams involved. It's always technology, it's always security, legal teams. Many, many teams have to be involved if you want to do things right. So managing those expectations about the timelines that you are thinking when you will have things done is very important because this is not something you will get done in three weeks. So managing that well 
is crucial. And the last comment is that we are not one of those teams that take 12 months to do something. So we don't say, we're going to do this. We, we, we sit in an office, we shut down everything. We keep ourselves locked down and then 12 months later, we show up with the results. You need to have a continuous delivery. You need to be showing progress continuously and communicating it. That's the way people understand your pain points, understand that you're really making progress and understand when are you going to have the solutions that they that they need and you have promised and you have committed that you will get them done. So to recap, I think it's getting everyone involved since day one. It's about communication. It's about managing expectations. And obviously, something obvious that everyone will know is, is about talent. It's very important to bring the best talent to your teams because obviously talent makes a massive difference. Instead of doing something in 12 months, you could do it in 24. So bringing that, that talent is, is something very, very important. And I'm lucky because I was able to bring my team to Vodafone and obviously it's a team that I've known for many, many years. And, and I know that uh, we work really, really well as a team. And now since joining this fantastic company and the great talent inside, obviously we have extended the family and now we keep working actively with many different people. I love that. I actually drew out today on a whiteboard a Venn diagram and one circle represented data and the other circle represented talent. And the intersect is is ultimately the alchemy of a successful business, I think. Yeah, really good one. So my background was in financial financial services and financial technology. In that industry, there was a huge inflection point in 2008. And what it created, it was actually hugely beneficial despite the downturn, which was an environment that forced partnerships and collaboration. As the industry intersected with technology, customer behaviors changed, regulation changed, new business models, new technologies, partnerships popped up out of nowhere. Hmm. The business intelligence and data space is much the same. And every industry, I think, is realizing that data is complicated and partnerships are essential. How does Vodafone approach the partnership model? Well, for us, obviously, partners are essential, are, are fundamental to thrive as a, as a company. We see partners, to be honest, everywhere because, I mean, we have partners that, that help us on, on very specific tasks, more on, on the operation side. We have partners that are quite unique in their skills and their ability to deliver that also help us in really complicated initiatives and complicated projects. We see partners that help us think beyond our Vodafone box. And we also see partners that help us sell through or sell, sell with. And then obviously a space for partners that are a bit smaller, startups or, or players that are very, let's say, niche, also helps us move faster. So obviously the, having a strong and healthy partner ecosystem is, is fundamental for us and for, to be honest, I think every large organization in the world. I could give you multiple examples because there are many that are public, but yes, uh, we also work with a, a lot of partners. The truth is that the only thing that our new global strategy is trying to shift a bit is that uh, Vodafone has had a lot of partners and big investments with those partners. And sometimes we've, we've outsourced maybe capabilities or solutions that perhaps now sit better in our organization because obviously the IP, the knowledge, the ability or the capability to evolve those assets or those solutions, now we want to start insourcing that. That's the big change from being from being a telco to become a technology communications company. That's the way we want to do it. We want to start insourcing new talent, new type of skills, new type of profiles that we need in the organization to, to start doing ourselves some of the core of what this organization is going to be in the future. And obviously rely on partners when needed, but we want to do, we want to start doing more things on our own. Obviously we will continue to have many different partners, mm -hmm. but I think that this change in that DNA of, of we building stuff that we think is important in our future DNA as a, as a tech uh, communications company, 
I think something really, really interesting and it's going to help us bring different type of skills and talents that I think is going to make us enjoy even more the journey. So that's the internal view. We're going to look externally. We often ask our guests, particularly leaders in this space, what advice would you give anyone else in the data and analytics space who may be looking to increase the value of data and to leverage analytics to improve their business? If you went and joined a new business, what would you do? I would do many similar steps that I've taken here. And perhaps after all these learnings in these almost three years, I think that I would apply some of these learnings to any new organization. I, I think that the, the lessons learned are very similar to what I was referring, referring about before. Is that a, when you want to extract value from data, you need to split your strategy if you want to extract value for internal use or if you want to come up with new products and services that you can sell in the market and at the end will help other organizations in their own in their own journeys. Once you have a clear view and a clear strategy on where are you going to be focused on, I think that then the most important aspect is to define a strategy that obviously is meant for success. And meant for, for success means that you need to involve and bring into the loop everyone in the organization that you are going to need in order to basically not only deliver, but obviously get your strategy to become successful. So in the case of my of my learnings, being a global organization is that everything we build that is B2B, we get the blessing and we get the support and the advice from the, from the countries. So obviously they're going to be the ones selling it. Mm -hmm. They need to want it. If they don't want it, then doesn't matter. It's like when we were talking before about the startup, doesn't matter that you build the most amazing product, complicated that anyone is going to sell it. Therefore, that product is dead before before building it. And then you need to be very realistic and understand the resources you've got. So it's best to focus on a few things than try to split your energy and your capacity across multiple initiatives because then it's going to be impossible to make progress. So clear strategy, clear focus, and then communication and manage expectations is is very important. I think those are some of the lessons learned. Obviously, there is a fifth one that is more technical, that is make sure that the data you're going to use has good quality because maybe not all organizations have the data in the best shape. So if you want to either monetize it or if you want to create value for internal use, you need to be sure that data has good shape, good quality, integrity, consistency, availability, because otherwise you're going to spend more time asking other teams and technology to fix data. And then obviously you, you will have more difficulties to build new products or to create value for internal use from data. Yeah, and you need a really good data partner, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you always need good data partners. We have a few, including GMB, and obviously without partners in the data space as well, it would be very, very complicated to make progress. Thank you. And... Um to end, I always like asking a few questions on how people live their lives. It's a bit of a weird one, but the rate of pace and change today is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's largely spurned on by data. It's largely spurned on by connectivity. <laughs> Vodafone is to blame for the fact that I get no sleep. And you commute from Madrid to London each week. How do you fit the right things into your life? How, how do you, you know, think about it from a wellness perspective and create efficiency? Well, I remember because I don't know if I told you this, but well, I told you my parents were mathematicians, but when I was a very little kid, my mom had to move to the U.S., to New Haven, and work for a couple of years at Yale University, which obviously was an amazing opportunity for her. And I was a very little kid. I was nine years old, 10 years old. And suddenly I went from my, my school in Spain into a public school in New Haven in the in the East Coast in, let's say, in the 1990s, so long old days. And at the beginning, I, I struggled so much personally. I woke up every day. I didn't want to go to school. 
And my mom always put on me like a lot of energy, taking me to school, walking me in. And let's say after two years there in New Haven, I got the chance to learn English. I got the chance to live an amazing experience that not many kids have. Also, my dad made the effort to remain alone in, in Spain because I'm only child, while my mom was doing what was best for her career. So one of the lessons that I learned from that is that uh, if you love your job, then traveling and distance shouldn't be shouldn't be a problem. And when I think that may I have to spend just two nights in, in London, I take it like an amazing opportunity because when I'm in London, I get to meet a lot of my colleagues, I get to go out with them, have a more personal relationship and get to know them better, which is fantastic. And it's only two nights per week, which is something that is quite, let's say, easy and, and reasonable to manage. And I take it like an amazing opportunity. I love coming to London. I love living living in Madrid. So I think I'm I'm a very lucky guy in, because of this opportunity that I have in, in Vodafone. Yeah, it's a really nice balance as well. A couple of nights in London, the rest of the week in Spain. I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> and a final one, you, you mentioned earlier the CDO at Prudential brought you into Vodafone, a mentor, a mother. Talk to me about some of your mentors through your career. I mean, it sounds like your parents have been enormous role models. True. I think that... Obviously, my parents, because they were the first mentors I ever had, have been amazing. They always taught me about about effort, about loving what they do. My parents work from Monday to Sunday. They go to university every day. They love what they do. They couldn't be any happier. And I think that a healthy mind is a healthy body, is a healthy person. So I always wanted to have the same passion and the same love for my, my job. And I'm able to do it now. So I think that that's something which is a, an amazing opportunity, to be honest. That's something I, I could never think of. Then besides my, my parents, I've met through my career different mentors. So people that have taught me, that have helped me grow, helped me learn. So from people that I was working for when I was in consulting to when I when I built my own startup, my, my co-founders also helped me and, and taught me lots of lessons. Investors, by the way, investors are always amazing because they have a different opinion and a different view. So they also help you learn and, and expand your view. So I think that I've met different mentors, but in order to keep two names, I would say my, my mom and my dad have been the most influential ones and still are. So very lucky. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm feeling energized and I'm hoping this is part one of many more conversations. I could definitely learn a lot from you in this topic. I hope too. It's been fantastic. Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Find out more about how Dun & Bradstreet can help your business be better. Contact us at marketinguk at dnb.com. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.